So as you're open to Nehemiah 4, Nehemiah's burden is for the people in Jerusalem. And that they are, the scripture says, distressed because the walls are broken and the gates are burned. They are unprotected. And it is the Lord's city, Jerusalem. It's robbing him of his glory. And Nehemiah has returned to be God's instrument for the rebuilding of the wall. He can't do it himself. We learned in Nehemiah 3 that each person had their specific limited role as God used them for the rebuilding of the wall. And it was happening. And then as it was happening, resistance came and enemies began to speak up and resist what was going on. And this morning, what we're going to look at is just two verses in Nehemiah chapter 4, because we're going to watch this. We're going to see Nehemiah's response to his enemies and what his example speaks to us. Because I recognize every one of you, whether it's on your street or in your family or at work, you have people who are against you. They have mocked you, made fun of you falsely accused you, resisted you. And how do we respond to those sorts of people in our lives? The context again, verse one, tells us it came about that when Sam Ballad, he is the most known enemy, if you will, of Nehemiah, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He called them what? Feeble. And he said, you can't do what you're trying to do. And even the little bit that you could do, it's not going to last. So they are mocked in order for them to stop. And Nehemiah's reaction to what they say, I'm going to be curious, your response. Maybe you've peeked ahead and read, or maybe you haven't. It's in verse 4 and 5. Look at it with me. Nehemiah, in response to the mocking, says, Hear, O our God, which tells us he prays, right? So this is a prayer. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their approach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. Their mockery has worked. And Nehemiah prays, not for them, he, well, he prays for them, He prays for them what? Don't forgive them. Get them back. Like, really get them back. Now, you may, I don't don't know what your reaction to that is. Do you think, yeah, way to go. I didn't know you were from the west side, Nehemiah. Good job. (laughs) Or do you think, I thought you were a godly man. Or maybe you went, I didn't really think about what he said. I think what he says is pretty dramatic. Don't forgive them, God. You ever thought about that? Don't forgive them, God. Hold it against them. 
and all that they've done to us, make it worse for them. So my question, ah, it's not fixed. Uh, Maybe somebody can help me, I don't know. Was this a God-pleasing prayer by Nehemiah? That's the question. Was this a God-pleasing prayer by Nehemiah? Now, first observation there is God didn't correct him. In other words, it doesn't say in verse 6, Nehemiah, go wash your mouth out with soap. God doesn't say, Nehemiah, you can't pray that sort of stuff. Now, that is an argument from silence, correct? So uh, you can't build strong arguments on arguments but it's at least an initial observation. God didn't correct him. So I'm curious, if you think Nehemiah's prayer was a God-pleasing prayer, God, don't forgive them. Let me see your hands. Some growing courage. No, it, Come on. If you're going to pray, don't forgive them. You got to be willing to put your hand up. Don't forgive them. Okay, you, you bailed on me, Gabe? You don't think so anymore now? Okay, your hand's still up. So there's like two, three, four, five. Okay, now mom and dad joined you, Gabe. Way to go. What an influencer. <laughs> there's like seven of you who think it was a, even though God didn't correct you, you think that's a weak argument. Well, uh, second observation is the people responded to it. I don't know if you, again, if you've peeked ahead in Nehemiah chapter 4, but what he says actually seems to change the perspective and the perception of the people. What's it say about the people at the end of verse 5? What's it say? I don't have it here. You'll have to actually look at your Bible. What's it say? That they were demoralized. What's it say about the people? End of verse six. They had a mind to work. So they went from demoralized to they had a mind to work. And what's the only thing that happened? Nehemiah said, Don't forgive them, God. Get them. And I don't know. Did he post it in the locker room so that they could rally on it all week? But I'm not saying it's righteous because people responded, because people respond to sinful things. But I am saying it seemed like the people had a change of heart because of what Nehemiah prayed. Also, make this third observation. His Bible was full of such prayers. Now, what do I mean by his Bible? Well, let me say again, though Nehemiah is in the middle of your Old Testament, in terms of its placement, in terms of chronology, Nehemiah is the last event that takes place in the Old Testament. So the prayers 
that the psalmist would have written in the Psalms actually took place hundreds of years before Nehemiah actually prayed what he prayed. So he has, at least in his quote-unquote Bible, he has actually lots of prayers like he prayed. They're called the imprecatory, imprecatory psalms. Psalms that call curses from God on people. Let me give you a couple examples. Psalm 5 says, O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God, by their own devices. Let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. It's almost like Psalm 5 was one of Nehemiah's favorite, and he simply was <laughs> praying the Psalms. Seriously, you pray Psalm 23, he prays Psalm 5. <laughs> thrust them out, God. But there's a lot of them. Psalm 35, let those be a Ashamed and humiliated altogether who rejoice at my distress. distress. Let those be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves over me. O oh God, shatter their teeth in their mouth. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O oh Lord. And he's not talking lions. He's talking people who are trying to, to devour him. Smack them in the mouth, Lord. You're like, this stuff's in the Bible? <laughs> yes. By the guy who was a man after God's own heart. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those who are doomed to die and return to our neighbor's sevenfold into their bosom the reproach which which they have reproached you, O Lord. Understand all the words there? Does he want him to get them back? No. Seven times worse. Don't just get them back, Lord. Get them back seven times worse. Oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, like fire that burns the forest and like a flame that sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. All right, that's a sampling. There's more than dozens more of those. So you understand what I mean when I say when Nehemiah prayed what he prayed, he was praying in line with many of the Psalms. How many of you think that what Nehemiah prayer, prayed was a God-pleasing prayer? Do we have any more? Still just seven? Yeah, you don't believe your Bible anymore? What's wrong with you people? You think you're being set up? <laughs> yes? Come on. Who would do that to you? 
Most compelling to me is this. Nehemiah is a Jewish man. And if you trace every Jewish person back to one person, you end up with who? Abram. Abraham. He he was what we would think of as the father of the Jewish people. All Jewish people come through the line of Abram. And when God chose, out of all the people on the planet, he could have chosen anyone. But he chose a man named Abraham, and he said, his name was Abram at the time. He later changed his name to Abraham. He said to him in Genesis 12, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will Bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, go ahead and read it for me. (laughs) I will curse, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not only was God silent, he didn't reproach him, not only was it effective to the people, not only was his scripture filled with such prayers, God had promised he would curse those who cursed Israel. God had said, I'm going to attach my name to your name. And when people bless you, I'm going to bless them. And when people curse you, I'm going to curse them. So we really could, I think, accurately say, Nehemiah is simply saying, God, keep your promise. Do what you said you would do. Bless those who bless us and curse those who curse us. So we'll have one more vote. How many of you think it was a God-pleasing prayer? All right. See, Genesis 12, pretty compelling. I agree. Now, let me be forthright. Not everybody agrees. If some of you still are like, no, I don't even know if you're trying to trick me. I just don't think that that's God-pleasing. Some people would agree with you. I would tend to go, Nehemiah was praying exactly like An Old Testament Jewish man would pray his understanding that the Israelites were the people of God. And God had said, here's how I'm going to work. I'm going to bless people who bless you. I'm going to curse people who curse you. He was simply asking God to keep his promise. But you might not be convinced. That'd be all right. Others aren't convinced that it was a God-pleasing prayer. My, my, My wife might be one of those. Let me tell you why. A number of years ago, my oldest daughter wanted to buy a car, her, like her first car. Have you, how many of you remember buying your, first, buying your first, mommy and daddy didn't buy it, you bought your first car. Remember that? Kind of a big day in her life. And so she was done sharing the family car with the other siblings. I want my own car. She had saved her money, worked hard. And so we found, this might freak you out, we found a car on Craigslist 
And we were pretty convinced this was a good car, checked the VIN, did all that stuff. And uh, the guy was in Gainesville. And so I didn't want to go to Gainesville until we could negotiate a price. So I negotiated a price with him. He agreed. I said, excellent. We'll be there this evening. It's my, for my daughter. She wants to buy it. I want her to be there. She got to get off work. Then we're going to go to the bank, get all her money out of her bank, and we'll bring it to you. So she gets off work. We go to the bank. She takes withdrawals. She's with me. I'm driving. Jackie's in the passenger seat. Christy's in the back. We drive to Gainesville. 20 minutes out, I say, hey, we're 20 minutes out. Just want to confirm we're good. Yeah, of course, I'm good. Just meet me here. And we had already established the place. 20 minutes later, I pull into an empty parking lot. And I'm like, where is the guy? So I call him. Hey, I'm here. Where are you? I sold it. What? Yeah, I, I, somebody came and I sold it to them. They were going to give me full price. No, we already agreed. I talked to you like 20 minutes ago. He goes, yeah, I, I know, but I sold it. It's gone. I was so mad. <laughs> but maybe, maybe you've been in this situation. What, what do you say when there is a cursing moment, but you don't curse? You understand what I mean? What you mean by that is like, I know what normal people say at this moment, but I don't say that sort of stuff. I was so angry. The only thing I could think to say to the God was, may God curse you. <laughs> and Jackie goes, duck. <laughs> and Christy's from the back seat says, dad. <laughs> I was like, well, Nehemiah did it. No, I didn't think that then. But that's what I, I was like. No, I feel very justified in this. So mad. So how could my wife disagree that this would be a God-pleasing prayer? May God judge you, curse you. Well, there's this small thing called the New Testament. that speaks into this issue that Nehemiah actually didn't have. See, because when we get to the New Testament and we begin to listen to Jesus speak about the kingdom of God being broader than the people of Israel, he says to those who are part of that kingdom, blessed are you, when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Blessed. That was not anywhere in my frame of thinking that night. I didn't go, well, thank you for that blessing. <laughs> it was not a, even a smallest thought. But Jesus Jesus in the scriptures here institutes a new response to those who curse us. A new response, a new thought, a thought that, that had not been a thought for Nehemiah. And so, let me be clear, I don't want you to be fuzzy here. 
You could disagree with me. I actually believe Nehemiah's prayer was a legitimate prayer in Nehemiah's time and in Nehemiah's world. But we don't live in Nehemiah's time in Nehemiah's world. We, we live in a time where Jesus has spoken new mindsets into our life. And it's a fourfold new mindset, a new response. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And here's why. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. He's saying, first of all, don't be ticked. And I know that's our first reaction. Don't be ticked. Don't blow up. Don't seethe. Rejoice. Be glad for this simple reason. You are sharing in the sufferings of the righteous. That's his point. Rejoice. Have a new perspective. And that perspective is simply... that you are now walking in the footsteps of the righteous who have gone before you. Now understand, it's the sufferings of the righteous. Peter, who would have been there when Jesus instituted this new mindset, he writes then later, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, see it's the sufferings, sharing the sufferings of Christ, Keep on rejoicing. He was listening that day. He believed Jesus. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's because of your righteousness. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a, as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. To suffer, to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be hated, whether it's in your family or at work, or by other folks in your life is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You're sharing in his sufferings and his saying, rejoice. He says, you share in my sufferings, you will share in my glory. As you share in my sufferings, you will share in my life. So it's a new thought that Nehemiah didn't have to think. A new thought that you and I would think in regards to those who hate us and those who insult us and those who are against us and, and a growing, potentially a growing culture against Christians. Are we mad about that? Are we angry? Are we saying... This is our opportunity to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. That's pretty radical. This is why I went 
We can't just skip over four and five in Nehemiah four. It's pretty radical for us to think in a, a world and in a culture that is increasingly moving away from biblical values, biblical thoughts, and our core Christian beliefs, as more and more people will hate us and potentially imprison us for our Christian beliefs, we're going to have to decide how we're going to respond. And Jesus institutes a new mindset for us, church. Rejoice, be glad. You're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You are sharing in his suffering. He goes on to say in this new mindset in Luke 6, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Quite frankly, I'm sure if we could, could interview Nehemiah, this would have not been what he would have thought. Oh, how can I love Sanballat? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Hey, you think we could send like Sam Ballard, a fruit basket. <laughs> Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. And obviously, <laughs> the prayer is in the context of not the prayers that we just read in the imprecatory psalms. Why? Because as Jesus closes out this section in Luke 6 about the new mindset regarding those who are against us, he says, in summary, be merciful just as your father is merciful. So rejoice, and number two, show mercy. And I think most of you know what mercy is. Mercy is don't return evil with evil. Show mercy. Mercy. And for what reason? This is really important. For what reason would we not return evil with evil? Because the family trait of the family of God is to not do so. Our father... And we are part of a, a family if we have placed our faith in Jesus to be our sin bearer. Which, by the way, can I simply say this? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't pray for us the way Nehemiah prayed for Sanballat? Seriously. How many of us have mocked God in our lives? Small ways and big ways we've mocked God. We have a merciful father. And because we have a merciful father and we have been made part of his family, Jesus is saying simply, the new mindset for the people of God is to be merciful as we have received mercy. To genuinely go, I rejoice that I am being able to share in the sufferings of Christ and everything that in my flesh would want to get them back and make them pay and try to get God on my side and getting them back. That's not who I am anymore. 
I'm part of a merciful family. Mercy is part of the DNA of the family of God. But it's not just show mercy. Look at verse 27 of Luke 6 again. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now track with me. How are those four things dramatically different than mercy? Mercy is I don't do what you deserve. What are these four things? (laughs) They are actually, I'm doing good. I'm actually moving in the, I'm not just getting you back and I'm going to stay neutral. No, Jesus calls us to more than just don't get them back. Uh, I have confessed before you numerous times that one of the shortcomings for me on Father's Day, I'll share this. As a father, I was too content to teach my kids that kindness was, be, was not being unkind. Did you follow? That kindness was not being unkind. Don't be unkind. And I think they did that really well. But Jesus says there's so much more to our family than simply don't be unkind, don't get them back, don't be cruel, don't be mean, don't be bitter, don't be vengeful. It's do positive as well. It's not just don't go into the negative. It's do positive. And the positive he speaks in four Words. First, he says, love. Love your enemy. Here's the thing with love your enemy. It sounds big and good. It's just so vague. Maybe you don't feel that way, but try sometime to ask yourself, this person is mistreated. They've been against me. What's it mean to love them more than not just get them back? What's it mean to love them? Because I had a person who who was against me and people would say, "Just, just love them, Doug. And I was like, I know, I just don't know what that looks like. Seriously. I was like, that's just so, can be. Maybe it's not for you, it was for me. Vega. Love, because we know it's more than a feeling. So I wasn't trying to feel something. What's that really do? And here's what I think Jesus helps us with. In this text, he first says love, and then I think the next three things he three the next three things he says is the practical outworkings of how do you love. Do good. Again, we, we're like, hey, if I don't do them bad, that's like home run for me. <laughs> that's what we can feel like. It just, and we think like, God, just be glad I didn't get them back. 
But he's going, don't get them back. Literally, do good to them. Do good to your enemies. And so that's simply, let me translate that for you. I think this will help you. Think of those that have mistreated you, maybe falsely accused you, lied against you, have been your adversary, and ask yourself, love them. I don't know what that means. All right, do for them what you would do for your good friend. Okay, no, no, no. Give me something less. No, do for them what you would do for your friend. Do good. Why, watch, why so important to do good? Here's why. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, the reality of if I don't do good, if I just try to stay neutral, the grave danger is sooner or later you will become overcome with the evil. You combat the being overcome with evil by doing the good. You try and stay neutral. I'm, I'm just not going to get them back. I'm just not going to get them back. But I'm not going to do good. You are sooner or later going to be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil. But how? But overcome evil with good. That is what is needed. And bless. Bless. Now, the, the, the acronym that we've been using for bless around here may help you. Begin with prayer. Listen. In other words, those who are against you, it might be actually good to listen and seek to understand versus just be understood. Eat with. Eat with them? Yeah, eat with them. Serve. Practical application to do good and share. Share the story of God's mercy in your life. So that may help. Way back when I said, may God curse you, was a Saturday night, which is terrible because the next morning I had to get up and, and teach. And so I feel this weight all morning of like, I get, need to get, but, but I don't want to let it go. You, you know what that's like? I think you probably do. You know you shouldn't hold on to something any longer, but you still want to hold on to it just as long as you possibly can, even though you, you know you're going to let it go at some point, just not yet. <laughs> but I had Sunday staring in my face, and I just didn't, I knew I couldn't with any integrity hold that in my heart and try to teach the scriptures to you. So, I acknowledged that uh, what was legitimate for Nehemiah was not legitimate for me, and uh, confessed it to the Lord, and thought, I need to actually confess it to the guy. 
So I texted him and said, hey, when I said, may God curse you on the phone last night, I was wrong. I actually don't want God to curse you. I want you to have a relationship with the Lord, and I want the Lord to bless you. And I apologize. And I could teach then with, uh, okay. Surprisingly, he texted me back and said, I'm a Christ follower, and I was wrong. I apologize to you. I still didn't have a car, but he did apologize. <laughs> so I was like, ah, you know how that goes. I was just, you know, you, you think that sort of stuff, don't you? Yes, oh, easy. <laughs> but there was a bless. There, there's something to say. I want to get to a place in my heart where I go, I'm pretty, I'm pretty angry with what you've done. But the heart of Jesus is merciful and love doing good. And then the fourth thing that Jesus says is love them, do good, bless, and pray. But what do you pray? <laughs> this will help you, I think. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, so this is a prayer, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. What do you pray? What we want to pray is, Lord, get them to repent. But actually, that's not even what Jesus prays. While they're continuing in their mocking of him and their insulting, the gambling at his feet as he hangs, oh, Father, forgive them. Now, they can't be forgiven apart from repentance. But you and I can offer a heart of forgiveness. Whether somebody is repentant or not. Jesus demonstrates. I don't want to hold your iniquity against you. I don't want the judgment of God to be upon you sevenfold. Father, my heart, forgive them. So you pray, Lord, not only bless them, I want to have, I want to have your heart that you had toward me when I was still a sinner that I'd have toward them, even if they never repent. Heart of the Father is that none would perish. So we pray. And why do we, why, why do we do these things? Why do we show mercy? Why do we love and do good and bless and pray? It's the simple reason. God demonstrates his own love toward, next word, 
Does that include you? Me? Yes. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still enemies of God, as we'll read in a moment, while we were still children of wrath, while we still hated God, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Mercy. We deserve wrath, but he showed us mercy. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He not only shows us mercy, he loves us. He does good. He blesses us by pouring his spirit into us so that we can walk not only forgiven but in newness of life. Friends, listen. We are called to this new response because as part of the family of God, this new response embodies the gospel. When we forgive when we do good to those who hate us and mistreat us, when we love and bless and don't take revenge but show mercy, we embody the gospel. See, it's one thing to hear somebody talk about it. It's another, per- another thing to see somebody who is wrong but doesn't wrong back for the simple reason that they have received mercy and good has been done to them when they didn't deserve it. We embody the the gospel. So let me give us an opportunity to respond to the Lord. I'm gonna just walk us through this text. Maybe you'd bow with me in this moment. Maybe there's nobody in your life right now that you would think of as somebody who has wronged you or spoken against you, mocked you. And this response is in preparation for when it does happen. But for many, you, you know there's somebody very specifically or a group of people who you know who have been against you, wronged you for your doing good, lied about you. Would you take a moment to say what might sound crazy, but would you take a moment to say, thank you, God, for them. Thank you for them. And thank you for the mistreatment. Thank you for the lies. Thank you for the mockery. Thanks for the privilege walking in your footsteps, Jesus. That would be a statement of faith. I invite you to express that faith in this moment. If you've not been demonstrating the family trait of mercy, let me invite you to confess that to the Lord. To remember that he has been merciful to you. Confess if you have not been merciful to others.
And would you commit yourself as a follower of Jesus, according to the power of the indwelling spirit in you, who gives you all you need to do all he says to, to love now, to love the person, to do good to that person, to bless them, to pray not only for them, the blessing and the forgiveness of God in their life, but for your own heart, the heart of Christ toward them. Lord, thank you for mercy and grace. And thank you for the privilege to embody that mercy and grace in our own real relationships. That we would be Christ in a very powerful way to those who surround us. That the life of Jesus would flow through us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Let's stand together and let's sing this together. men and women available between the auditoriums each service. Um, please do that if you would like someone to pray with you. 
Uh, and I hope you have a blessed day. Once again, dads, happy Father's Day. We'll see you next time.